What's going on, everyone? This is Zephan Blacksburg from the Year of Purpose podcast, and today I have Doug Sandler. Now, Doug is also known as Mr. Nice Guy, and he created Nice Guys Finish First in an environment where too often people accept average as the norm when it comes to customer service. And way too often, companies accept average from their sales and customer service departments. His philosophy, built on 30 years of industry experience, has always been to set huge expectations and exceed them. Doug shares his message all over the country with organizations and individuals in need of building more solid relationships with their customers. As an expert, Doug is a highly demanded speaker, best-selling author, and Huffington Post blogger specializing in exceeding expectations. He will prove to you that why nice guys and girls finish first. So Doug, it's great to have you here today. And I think that we have such an awesome topic to talk about because we have so many newbie startups and and newbie entrepreneurs. And this is such an important thing to have or or skill to have is, you know, customer service, right? Uh, I think so. I think so. First of all, uh, Zephan, thanks so much for for having me on the show. I know that we've exchanged a lot of information back and forth over the last couple of weeks. So I appreciate your patience in in getting me here. Yeah, I think that that t- today, uh, more than ever, with social media as big as it is, I think it's really, really important for us to focus on the human element of building a business and not just the technical element of, of how, to, how to grow a network. So sure, relationships and communication are key today. And I've been seeing this kind of when I go to networking events now is we've gotten into this bad habit of because I gave you my business card, all of a sudden I expect all this work to come in, you know? And I think that we've gotten into this really poor place where we're not building these relationships. It's just like, hey, here's my name, buy my stuff. Well, as I go into companies, and you you make an excellent point, as I go into companies today, the thing that I stress to them is when you go to a networking meeting, and one of my programs that I teach is Networking 101, so as you go into this networking event, uh, the idea behind it is not to go in there expecting to close a deal. All you're doing really is you you don't want to collect cards. You're not looking to gain numbers. It's not like you're building a social media platform on Twitter and you're just trying to take as many followers as you possibly can. When you're in a networking meeting, if I walked out of there with one business card and one potential blossoming relationship, then I feel like I've done my job. All I really want to do when I go in there is just go in there and be me. You know, if I hand out cards, great. If I don't hand out cards, I don't look at that as a failure. I just look at that as an opportunity where I just didn't see anybody that I was particularly interested in meeting. Uh, there's always an opportunity for you to present your your goods and your services later. If you're asked about it, that's terrific. But in the meantime, build a relationship, you know, get to know somebody. And why do you think so many people are are so concerned with just going straight for for the money or for the gig? You know, why don't <laughs> they even try to build this relationship? I think what happens is we are in a, a an instant uh, society, especially with technology where it is today. We can go and do a research on pretty much anything that we want to. So we click and click to buy now. So it's not click to sell now. It's click to buy now. So most people, especially some of the younger people that are in business today, and when I say younger, I, I really mean anybody that's you know younger than 40, let's say, <laughs> uh, they, they, um, they approach it in a slightly different way. I, I'm 50 years old, and when I first started, and I don't mean to come at you from an angle of, well, I'm 50 and I know everything. I don't. I'm learning every day. I'm learning all about technology and how it can help us. But way back when, it was more of a Let's get to know you. Let's build a relationship. Let's see what develops. Um, those have been the clients that have stayed with me the longest, the ones that, that are uh, just a quick hit. As soon as a cheaper price comes along, they're gone. Right. 
And that's kind of been the same experience for me as well as the people who, you know, I've gotten to know their families or learn more about their their personal life too. They're the ones who keep coming back month after month and want to work with me. So I definitely resonate with that. Um, when it comes to this sort of customer service role, because this is really a role that all business owners and entrepreneurs have to take, is there, do you have like a foundation that you teach people? Because I went to Zappos and I visited them and they have the ability that if like someone calls in and says their dog died, they can like send you flowers in a card. And I can't exactly keep track of A, all my clients and B, do stuff like that. Yes. So is there this like set of principles or somewhere where I should start? Yeah, and they're and they're pretty simple. And it's funny you mentioned Zappos because uh, on this journey that I've taken over the last thirty years, uh, more specifically in the last few years, and really focusing on, on customer service and the things that make a successful business, uh, I visited Zappos as well. We were out on a trip in Las Vegas, and and a bunch of the guys that I was with, uh, who work at the um, at the office that I work in, they they all decided together, hey, let's go see what the Zappos thing is all about. And I was blown away by their culture because I did not think that a culture like that could exist with multiple people. I knew it could when you're a solopreneur, there's a couple of people that are in your company, you know, you can create this bond. I had no idea it could work with thousands or hundreds of people in in that particular case in their Las Vegas location. Um, Yeah, so to get back at your question at hand, what foundation is there? I'm going to lay out a couple of really, really simple guidelines that you can follow that anybody can follow in order to do it. And there's no rocket science attached to this. It's just the reality of how I built my business. I built my business by telling the truth. I built my business by returning my phone calls. And I built my business by being a nice guy. That was the three, the cornerstones, the three of the triangle. That's where I started building my business. And what had happened was I discovered as I was returning my phone calls, being a nice guy and telling the truth, I discovered that not everybody did those three things. So if you just get down to those foundations of those three items along the way in your journey, especially in the beginning, how critical it is, is it for you to uh, follow the golden rule? You know, uh, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. In a nutshell, what I'm saying is be a nice guy, you know, because you want everybody to be nice to you. It makes sense that you should tell the truth because good, bad, or indifferent, it's very important for you to tell the truth to, especially if you're in a sales position or a position to promote your products. If you see a customer, a potential customer that you don't have the perfect fit for your product, don't try to crowbar your product in there. It's better to say, you know what, I don't think we're a great fit. That would be a a very, very um, uh, beneficial thing for the person that you're saying it to and for you because you're not taking on a client that's going to be trouble down the road when they discover your product isn't what, all what it should be for them. Um, really, and the last thing of uh, of just um, you know returning your phone calls, being responsive. You know, before we had email and and text messaging, it was it was just return your calls because there was no email. Right. So I've expanded that a little. Return your emails, return your text messages, return any level of communication. But if you do those three things, return your calls, be a nice guy, and tell the truth, you will find that you will be miles ahead of your competition, and you're doing nothing other than what would be to me common sense. And telling the truth was really something that I experienced even when I was working in my position at Apple, although I was in tech support, every now and then you jump in to help the salespeople if, you know, it's around the holiday season or whatnot and it gets too busy. And I would have people come in and say, you know, convince me, like, why do I need to buy this, right? Right. And I'm like, well... I don't need to convince you like if you're an Android person and that's what you love, then I'm going to tell you don't buy it. 
And it was funny because they would get so confused because it's almost like they want to give you this challenge. Well, what's interesting about it, and, and you say that, and it's, and it's great because you really do. Most people that are new in, in position of selling or servicing a, a customer, especially, let's say, in the Apple store, when people walk in, they already kind of know what, they're go- what their approach is going to be with you. They- are they going to be a-, a pain in the rear end and try to give you a hard time and say, oh, I'm an Android user? I- I'm not going to fight that. That's your opinion. I- it's great. Right, wrong, or whatever. It's, it's your opinion, and I'm not going to dispute that. I- it- what's really important is that-, at- is that you just kind of work along with whatever personality type that they, that they have. So if they're not a buyer, then you know, far be it for me to try to sell anybody to anything. I'd much rather be a consultant anyway. It's so much easier to be a consultant and take the commodity out of the sale. Right. Well, so let me ask you about this whole Mr. Nice Guy thing, because I'm just curious. Did you ever get to experience or even make the mistake of not being Mr. Nice Guy and seeing the poor results that come from that? Or is it more of you've you've seen a lot of other people doing this and you can kind of say, well, here's like the 10 biggest issues that come out of that? Well, what happened was uh, I was given the title of Mr. Nice Guy. I can't remember who gave it to me, but I think I was speaking at one point and uh, my program, my book has been called Nice Guys Finish First. So somebody just coined me as Mr. Nice Guy. I even to today uh, have a tough time when put in an adversarial role, meaning somebody is conflicting with something that I have to say or somebody is wants to be argumentative. I really have to step back. One of the things that I'm working on as a as an individual is just trying to figure out where my hot points are so that I don't, you know, go off the off the cuff and just start, you know, blasting because my initial instinct when somebody is confrontational with me is for me to be confrontational back. I don't want to be that way. It's it just is something that's within me and I you know, you, you try to break some bad habits. So um, although I am coined Mr. Nice Guy, it's, you never want to be on my bad side because although I won't argue back with you, you know, I'm going to stand my ground. You ask me to do you a favor and I will help you, you know, to make it happen. You tell me what you're going to need me to do and all of a sudden I'm going to, I'm going to firmly plant my feet and just you know, try to be resistant. I don't know why I do it. I just do. I think that's something that I get too, because, you know, I I would like to think that I'm Mr. Nice Guy like 99% of the time. But just like you, if somebody kind of calls me out on something and I know that it's not true or not, you know, of my character, I'm the first person to fire right back. And it's not fun. Yeah, well, and you and you appear as as I'm sure you have been in the communication that what we've had. You appear to be a great guy and a nice guy, and your your whole program is is based upon that. So it it's very challenging to envision you in a confrontational role. Although you know you never know what sets off people's you know hot buttons. And one of the things that sets me off is when somebody just it's it's obvious that they're not you know they're not telling me the truth. You know, they tell me one thing and then they do another. And for me, it's it's very, very challenging. I, I because I'm in such a position of service. Um, I've had an experience recently, and I won't get into names or anything, but I had an experience recently with um, a company that I'm doing some work with, and I pay them a lot of money. And all I wanted them to do was just be responsive. I said, hey, I don't necessarily even care about the performance, whether your product or service um, does exactly what it, it's all, you know, it's it's uh, subjective, whether it works or not. So for me, I just kept saying, I just want you to be, I just want you to be responsive. Just follow up with me. And they just could not get that through. And, and Finally, what it came down to was I said to them, have you read my book? I mean, I, <laughs> I wrote a book about customer service and providing exemplary service. This is what I am all about. If you care about me, 
Read my, I'll provide you a free copy of my book. Read my book and understand why I think the way that I think. And you'll, you'll figure out that business really needs to be more customer focused, not product focused. Yeah, I mean, this was something, and I hate to bring up Apple all the time, but they, they focused on the person and they wouldn't try to sell you this new phone because it's a bigger screen. They tried to sell you this new phone because the bigger screen allowed you to, you know, video chat with your grandkids that are halfway across the planet. You know, so they were focused on what you get out of this, not necessarily here's this cool, shiny new feature. I love that. I love that. Focus on you, focus on them, focus on you, meaning focus on the customer. Don't focus on the product itself. And and I agree. You know, I agree with that. I try to figure out sometimes what like the iPad was really in, created for. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some some of the products I walk in there, I'm like, do they really need that? I mean, it kind of is just like a big phone, <laughs> you know, yeah, but right. <laughs> They have their reasons, they have their marketing, and they've determined what, you know, what it is that, that people buy, I'm sure. Yeah. So I think that there is one thing on people's minds at this point, though, in talking about this is, uh, you know, the, I love that you turned around nice guys finished last and made it first because they do finish first. And my concern with it is that how do we make sure that we're not pushovers and that people don't just step all over us being that nice person, being that person who wants to, you know, give of our time and our resources to help other people. I think if you stay within a system, regardless of what that system is, I have a system, it's invest time, energy, resources, and people inspire them to take action and then actually execute whatever you, you know, had laid out for them. I think that along the way, uh, being a nice guy does make you a big target for people that want to take advantage of your time and take advantage of your resources and take advantage of your knowledge. Uh, but you just have to just stick stick to your ground, stick to your business plan. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to be a yes guy. I am certainly by no means a pushover, as you probably have seen in, through an email exchange that, that we've had. Sure. I'm just not a guy that says, you ask me a question, I'm like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. If I think that it's within my my wheelhouse and I feel like it would be beneficial for you and I feel like it would be beneficial for me at the same time, then we're going to work on a plan together. But in no way, shape or form does a nice guy mean that you're being a yes man or a pushover at all. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go along with everything that comes our way, which I you're think is... You're not going to. You're not yeah. going to. You know, one of the things in my um, 51... I, I wrote a blog probably about a year and a half or so ago, 51 lessons about life that you've learned. Um, it, one of the lessons that I've learned is not everyone is a customer, and that's a good thing. Uh, you really have the ability... Uh, and the other thing is you can actually fire a client too. <laughs> so I've done that. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, it's a good experience. You know, yeah. if somebody doesn't fit your mold, then, then so be it. You're just not, you're not for me. And as long as you do it in a nice way and a respectful way, I think that people appreciate when you're open and honest and you're, and you're, um, you know, you're forthright in what you are and what you provide. If you aren't the perfect fit, say no. If you don't feel like you have the, the um, ability to commit to a project, say no, because what's going to end up happening is if you become a yes guy, but you're a yes guy with no follow through, then you're really hurting yourself, your reputation. And if you look at the big picture, uh, you're doing yourself an injustice by being a yes guy. While you think that you're being helpful, you might be temporarily helpful, but in the long run, you're going to be hurting yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, you'll you'll get burnout or overload because you've just taken on way too many things. Now, right. speaking of burnout, because this is kind of where I was when I decided to follow things I was more passionate about. I know this is something that you speak on a little bit as well as, you know, how do we find our passion? Because, you know, there's I hate that all these people are just like, yeah, find your purpose. Well, guess what? Your purpose changes all the time. 
And so how do we find our passion, at least in the now or for the next, you know, six months to a year and what we want to follow in life, at least for the time being? I think that's the uh, the $64,000 question. Yeah. Is what is how do you find, you know, before we, we clicked on the record button, I said, what's the trick? You know, you're in the podcast business. I'm in the podcast business, too. You have many, many more listeners than I do. And and I said to you, what's the trick? And you can't exactly point out well, this is how you get more listeners. Uh, you just you work hard and you keep your head down and you focus on the things that are important to you. Uh, I think if if I had to answer the question uh, with a hundred percent accuracy for me, I started to move in the direction that I was happiest. I knew that a position of of service where I'm able to serve others, help other people, that made me happy. You know, when I can see something that I'm doing for someone and it's making them happy and helping them, I truly feel like that is that is what my purpose is. And I'm not saying that in a philanthropic way. I'm saying that almost in a selfish way. My feeling is I love helping people. It's great if I can teach somebody how to do what I've done, how to build a business and how to be successful at building a business, then uh, it's going to make them money. And in turn, they're going to want to share some of their uh, some of their experience with people that are in my life and that they're going to make me happy. They're going to pay me. You know, you do something well enough, people will pay, pay, you know, be the path to pay you to, to get you to teach them how to do what you've just done. So for me, this 30 year journey of building an entertainment business was all of the setup that I needed to start this speaking business a couple of years ago, which is pretty much when I got started in the speaking business. So um, finding your passion, that is really, um, that is a challenging question. It's one of those things that how do you, I can tell you what you don't do. You don't stay in an environment that you're not happy in. Oftentimes by eliminating the unhappy things in your life, and that can be personally also if you're in a relationship that's going nowhere, um, it's time to get out of it. If you have a, a friendship that is, um, that is acidic or that is uh, not good for you, then you get out of it. If you're working a job that you dread going to every day. I was in the mortgage business in the early 90s and while I loved helping people being able to get to the point where they were able to settle in a home, the problem was all of the process that you had to go through in order to get there. The meeting of the real estate agents, the the taking of the application, the the underwriting process, everything else, the getting the business suit on. I'm not a suit guy. Me so, neither. So yeah, right? So for me, uh, one day I woke up, I got out of bed, I, I put my suit on, I got a really bad stomach ache, I got back in bed with my suit and my shoes still on, put the covers <laughs> over and I just said, I don't wanna do this anymore and that was probably the last day that I went into the mortgage business. I, you know, you just have to gravitate towards the things that you love doing and if you don't, you're gonna be so unhappy and the other problem is you're gonna make the people around you miserable too. It's really hard to be unhappy at a job and still be a happy guy and if you're only a, TGI Friday guy or a working for the weekend or hey hump day is here only five more days till the weekend uh, you're wasting you know five sevenths of your life you may as well enjoy I get out of bed every morning I'm excited to get in front of this computer to do the things I'm doing and have meetings and to do stuff like this this is I love this I mean this for me I could do this 24 7 it, it'd be nice to be able to have create an income out of it but until I do I'm just going to keep doing this it will eventually happen I'm sure yeah. And speaking of, you know, knowing that in the future that it will eventually happen for you, because this is something that I come across way too often now is people say, well, I'm really passionate about, you know, let's just say photography, right? But 
then there's this whole money aspect of they've been working in this job that's been paying them squat for the last, you know, three, right. four, ten years, whatever. And they now have to, if they really want to do this, go out and buy a thousand dollar camera. You know, how do you approach uh, that, you know, getting towards that passion and starting to work in that passion uh, when money is kind of the obstacle? I mean, and money is always the obstacle. See, yeah. that, that's the problem. People look at this and they just say, and let's use this a great example that you've already set up. They set it up. Uh, they're a photographer. They love taking photos. They have to spend a thousand bucks on a camera if they want to get to the next level of, of where their photography will take them. But they have to work this full time job that they don't like. And they're trying to figure out, well, how do I get to do it full time? I don't really even know how the, the steps are, you know, what the steps are. And I always tell everybody, well, tell me a little bit about how you're treating this not like a hobby then. You know, are you just going out on the weekends and taking photos thinking, well, it's going to make its way to the internet and somebody will see it and I'll get on YouTube and I'll, you know, I'll get a million hits and somebody will pay me for that. It doesn't happen that way. You know, maybe one in a million it happens that way. Join a professional association. Find a photographer that's done what you've done, that what, you know, has been through the same process you've been. Pick up the phone book. Or, is there a phone book anymore? Pick up the internet. <laughs> and, pick up uh, the internet. <laughs> pick up the internet and, and look for somebody that is in your area that's a photographer. If, if you called me, Zephan, and you said to me, listen, I really want to learn about being a professional speaker. How do I do it? I would consider it an, an honor for somebody to think enough about me to say, can you help me? Now, there's enough people out there that are jerks that would say, you know, pound sand, I'm not, I'm not helping you. But there are plenty of us that want to help because we know that a guy like you, when you get to a point where you're speaking every week and you're traveling all across the country, when that speaking opportunity arises that you say, you know, I'm not a good fit for this, but I know this Sandler guy, Mr. Nice Guy, that would be good. You plan enough of those relationships and connect enough people, it'll work for you. So to get back to the answer really of the question, how do you change a something that you can't, you know, you're in that golden handcuffs, you need the money, your income provides it the job, but you love this other thing. Stop treating it as a hobby, treat it like a second job. Uh, and eventually it will become that thing that will take over it. As a DJ, when I first started DJing, I was in the mortgage business, I was in the building business, and then that passion for DJing really started to grow. I discovered uh, it, over maybe a 10 year period of time that my my one day a week of working four hours was creating more income than my 40 hours a week over here in the mortgage and the building business. So I had a decision to make at some point. Okay, now, you know, just don't look at it and say, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow so I can be a professional photographer. Do it the smart way. Find other people, follow them, see what they're all about, learn what they have done, do what they have done, and you will become a professional photographer if it's, if it's your passion. Yeah, and I mean, one of the, this just comes to mind, one of the things that I did with starting my business that I've really found to be helpful was uh, not only joining the professional professional associations, but also, in a sense, making your own. So I started just a Facebook group, and I invited five other videographers to this group, and I just called it Videographers Connection, and that was a year ago, and I now have over 200 people in it. Wow. And these are people who have referred me work, who have, you know, rented out my equipment, who have totally. sold me equipment. And it was surprising because this was something, A, that was free. It cost me nothing. Right. B, I was allowed, I was able now to start these sort of networking happy hours and get a bunch of other people together that are in my industry and, and see it just, it builds those relationships that help you along the way. So, I mean, just a little tidbit of advice there for anyone listening. That's I mean, great. 
create your own group because sometimes uh, there's plenty of networking groups out there. But if you make your own, you're also kind of seen as not necessarily the expert, but the leader of the group. And then you're kind of the go to person when it's like, oh, I have a video shoot, need an extra person. Oh, well, Zephan's the first person I think of. But what, what's interesting about what you're saying is I'm sure you weren't the guy that created the group and then went away. You know, I, what I think happened probably, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Zephan, but I think probably what happened is you created the book and then you cultivated the group. You know, you started working uh, every angle that you could to get people to become participants in the group. I, assuming you just didn't open up the page and say, I'm open and then walk away. Is that... Oh, yeah. I mean, we started doing monthly just like happy hour meetup type things. Uh, whenever I was at networking events or met other videographers, I'd tell them, go on Facebook, search for this. You'll find it. You should totally join us. So right. I kind of became an advocate for it. And on top of that, because it's just on Facebook, it was so easy to just take like an article in our industry and post it there once a day or every other day. So yep. people are constantly seeing this as they that's go like your blog. That's like your blog. You know, once you expert at your industry, people will want more of you. They'll want more information. I've been writing a blog almost for two years every week uh, with a podcast twice a week uh, with a a video training program and online lessons and a book. You know, if I am not perceived as the expert now, I'm doing something wrong. So your job is to make yourself an expert. Everybody wants information from the expert, especially if it's free. If you're providing free content, Wow, people love that. And what will happen is as a result of that, people will hire you to do stuff for them because they know you're the expert and the one, the go-to guy in the industry. Yeah, and and the best part is you don't have to start out as the expert. You know, it's this path where you learn along the way and you just add value to others wherever you can. And ultimately, it's weird because one day you kind of wake up and people just consider you the go-to person. Well, right. For it. You can't make yourself <laughs> the expert. And, you know, if you if you consider yourself the self-proclaimed expert, people will see you ha- having an ego. But if somebody else says to you, well, hey, have you talked to Zeph and he's the expert in this field? All of a sudden, you really are the expert at it. So, yeah, the approach, you've taken the right approach and it sounds like you've done everything. You know, you, you're the one that people should be taking lessons from. You know, yeah. you're great. You're great at it. So let's talk about taking lessons from Mr. Nice Guy and, and maybe tell me a little bit about, you wrote this book, Nice Guys Finish First. Um, when did this get launched? Well, uh, the idea, do you want to hear the story about how the book was written or you just want to hear post-writing the book after the book came out? What would be better for you? <laughs> um, well, let's summarize a little bit about how the book was written. Maybe there's you know a tidbit of information in there that people sure. would like. Well, um, I was intimidated by the idea of writing a book, but I also knew that a speaker, which is really the profession that I wanted to start to to really uh, evolve into, the speaking business, uh, in order to start to make bigger fees in the speaking business, you need a book. And to make it uh, bigger speaking fees, you need a best-selling book. So I'm thinking, oh, crap, I got to not only write a book, but I got to write a bestseller. I'm like, how am I going to do that? So um, I, uh, I met with actually somebody that was a member of my local synagogue and they mentioned to me, um, let's see, uh, how did it exactly go down? Oh, I, he was receiving my blog already because I had been writing a blog for about a year when, when he approached me or I approached him. And I, he was asking me just about some equipment from my DJ business that he wanted to, to borrow. And he said, hey, have you ever spoken to my cousin Rob? And I said, I don't know who your cousin Rob is. So he said, <laughs> my, cousin, my cousin Rob has written five books. And my understanding from my cousin Rob, who's also a speaker, is that in order to be a good speaker, you really need to have a best-selling book or you need to have a book. So I'm like, oh, I'll talk to Rob. Okay, let's see what he's all about. 
So I talked to Rob and Rob, I hired probably on the spot and said, hey, can you help me write this book? Not as a ghostwriter, but can you help me just get my facts straight? Rob being an OCD kind of guy is very systematic. So he's, everything was ready to roll. And he said, sure, I'll, you know, we can do this. So uh, two weeks later, we sat down, we wrote the outline to this book. Um, you know, what was really significant in the, in the impact for me was he said, you don't have to write 200 pages because that was the intimidating factor for me. And anybody listening, if you try to write 200 pages, it's going to be, you know, huge uh, undertaking. Yeah. But he broke it down into simple science for me. He said, you don't need to write 200 pages. You need to write 10 pages a week for the next 20 weeks. And so when he said that, then the math started happening in my head. And I said, I don't need to write 20 pages for the next or 10 pages a week for 20 weeks. I really need to write a page and a half a day for the next 20 weeks. And all that came down to was about five or 600 words a day. And I said, I can do 500 or 600 words a day. I was already writing 1,000 to 2,000 words a week right now as a blog. So I'm like, yeah. I can do that. So um, literally 95% of my book, well, I've been corrected recently. It's probably more like 50% of my book was written in Starbucks. But I like the story, 95% of my book was written in the Starbucks <laughs> restaurant. The other half That's the name other, for another book. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, some of it was written at my dining room table. The majority of my book was written in, in 20 weeks. I had about 175 pages. Uh, we took it to a couple of different publishers who turned it down, um, not because they didn't like the writing, but because the timing was off, as it sometimes is with, with publishers. And uh, the third publisher said that they wanted it, which was great. Um, and uh, we really just started our Zoom from there. That was on uh, December of last year, December of 2014. Uh, we scheduled the release for March 15th of 2015. The book came out a couple of weeks early in, in the end of February. Uh, by the end of March, we had a book that was uh, number one in the category of customer service on Amazon. And really from there is when this whole, this whole spiraling effect upward um, started to happen. People started calling. Uh, they wanted me to come out and speak. Uh, people wanted me to guest blog for them. Uh, people wanted a piece of me on on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. They wanted to. I received some. Po I, I put up a post that just somebody helped me pick the um, the two covers of my my book. You know, I had two design covers choices. And um, as of today, and people are still commenting on that, even though the book has been out since March. Uh, we have over forty three thousand comments. Uh, which it was crazy. I built the majority of my email list based upon that one post on LinkedIn. And had I not written that post, I'd still probably have a good list, but you never know where your business is going to come from. So the, the process of writing the book was great. I then went into a studio and did the audio version, which was totally cool, uh, being in front of a microphone and being able to speak and, and hearing myself read my own book and listening back to it amazing just not amazing in terms of listening to myself speak but just the process of the fact that i mean three years ago seth and i didn't know where i was going and i was i was in a good career and i love my career but i wasn't in the speaking business i had no idea that i was going to be speaking or writing or anything and it's just been what a what an amazing you know two and a half years or two years or so it's great because it solidifies your reality. You know, it's one thing to have this book written, but I know that uh, even just in exercises, you know, sometimes people say, write it on paper instead of typing it because your brain absorbs it better. I'm yeah. sure speaking this out loud really is kind of like your way of telling your brain, hey, like I made this. This is kind of awesome. And what's really, what's really interesting about what you're saying is that when I go out and I speak, I, at the end when they pay me, 
I'm like, I just told my story. <laughs> you know, it's just me. I've just told my story. And yes, I put some lessons in there. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I don't like to tell systems kind of things. I, I do as a part of, because that's what people want to hear. They want to hear right. how the system is put together. But I just tell the story of how I got to be where I am. And a, a number of the stories I tell are basically about the failures that I have, accompl- you know, that I have accomplished, the, the failures that I've achieved in my, in my life. And it is amazing. You can fail your way into a successful position. And I, you know, case in point, I'm a great <laughs> example of somebody that has literally put, his, put everything I got into everything I do and many failures along the way. And it's, um, it's just been wonderful just to, to know that people even want to hear me. I, and then they pay me on top of that. I'm like, whoa, this is great. So I love that part. And so just, you know, lesson for everybody listening out there, you know, look, it, telling the story of your failure and, and being able to create a, a profitable business out of it. I mean, obviously, there's tons of success here, right? This is not just like, I just fail constantly. And this is how it works. But well, right. Yeah, you, you have to you, you have to learn the lesson from your failure. If you don't learn the lesson, you're just going to continue to fail. If you learn the lesson, and you hear and you see what you've done, you know, you've made some drastic errors, you know, you've put too much money or too much time or too much energy or effort into one specific part and your business failed as a result of it. Okay, well, pick up the pieces, learn your lesson and and move on. The thing is, you got to get back up again. Yeah. And enthusiastically get back up again. It's like, wow, that hurt. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. You know, but don't look back. Take the rearview mirror off of your, you know, your vision and and just keep moving forward. And you I'm a true believer in that the things that you say to yourself will lead you to your you know, to your destiny, will lead you to that path. And uh, if you speak positively of yourself, then you will, um, without an ego, you know, you don't want to present this and not look how great a guy I am. And as I speak to audiences, I, my plan is never to get out there. And I have a very hard time when somebody congratulates me for anything because I feel like, man, I've just, I've just put in my time and my effort. And yeah, I did fail through that. And that, was, that really hurt. But I learned a lesson from it. And the lesson was, Hey, I can never lie again. You know, I need to tell the truth to my clients or I've learned I've lost many deals through not returning phone calls and emails properly or on time. So you learn through a lesson that you need to return your calls and your emails on time. I've learned through lesson that you've got to fulfill your customers expectations, not just what you think your customers expectations are. So you need to ask them. So you have a very, very consultative role with your clients. And when you do that, your business becomes a whole different model. You're no longer selling. You are be, you're an advisor. And I, to become an advisor to people, uh, it's okay to be human being and say, you know, I really don't know. I don't know, but let's work on this thing together. If you work on it together and you come up with a solution together, they take ownership, you take ownership, and they get the credit. And that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think I've had the greatest satisfaction when I've helped other people and, and still watch them get the credit for because at the end of the day, you know, they did the work, they they put the work in, you know, I was just kind of giving them the handbook of like, here's how you could do this. And they know the secret, they know the secret behind the scenes was you and it doesn't necessarily need to be something that has to be verbalized. If it is, then great. And if you get the accolades or the reward or the rising star award or whatever it is, wonderful. But if you don't, you know, you've done a job you know, well done. That's excellent. And and thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your story and how this book has come to life. And I'd love if you could share with everybody, I know you've got some great resources online and where they could find Nice Guys Finish First and uh, your website link and things like that. 
Yep, that's great. If they uh, welcome to go to my website, which is uh, dougsandler.com, and uh, all of the information about everything that I have, my online training program and my book and my uh, my speaking is all right there. So that's probably the uh, the easiest spot to go. Um, I also have a, a post that I put uh, every week up on Huffington Post, and that's that's fun to, to see a whole bunch of people all over the world read my stuff. Uh, I have a weekly blog. They're welcome to subscribe to that and uh, and get information. I, I tend to be all over the place with my blog. This this week I wrote about um, uh, I don't even remember what I wrote about and I just hit the send button <laughs> I, 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 I wrote a book about I, I mean I wrote a blog about uh, taking the training wheels off in life and just kind of you know get it, getting on on your own stop wearing the training wheels it's time to move on so um, I write a weekly blog and I love that but DougSandler.com is the easiest way to get any information about my uh, my stuff Perfect. And I know I highly encourage everyone listening in to, to check out Nice Guys Finish First. You say it's on Amazon and recorded audio, so there's, there's an audiobook version somewhere. Yep, uh, right on Amazon. The audio is there. It's uh, Kindle, um, paperback, and uh, an audio version uh, on Audible. Yeah, I think they can go to Audible too, but the easiest spot is just to go to Amazon if they want to get a copy of the book. Awesome.